Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. I think food products are really the only way to be extremely scalable in restaurants, right? Because fortunately, unfortunately, dining out or eating at a restaurant is the last thing that you can't download, right? <laughs> like you can literally download everything else, like music, films, everything, but you can't download a restaurant experience. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Su Chen is an expert marketer brand builder, and all-around busy bee on the global food scene. She was Momofuku's first brand director, and in this episode, we go back to her time helping to build the David Chang empire. Sue later founded her own agency, Care of Chan, which has become a go-to for major fashion and retail brands looking to engage with the food world. Her current clients include A24, New York Times Cooking, Nike, and J. Crew. This conversation is fast and furious, but we always pause when Sue has a restaurant to talk about or an opinion to give. I so enjoyed catching up with a real food world one of one. Su Chan, welcome to This Is Taste. What's up, Matt? How's it going? Great to see you. I really, it's nice connecting. We, you and I have worked together, I think, like maybe almost 20 years oh on stories. God. Yes, yes. And I feel like that was such a different era of food and so many things have changed since then, which it's crazy that so much has changed change and evolved in just 20 years but yes. yeah three x four i mean it's changed like five times just like five lifetimes that we've <laughs> yes. lived. i want to ask you you live in los angeles now you've you lived in new york for almost 20 when you so when you return to new york as you are here now where are you going where what are you hitting up spots wise oh gosh um i have to admit i find the new restaurant scene very overwhelming <laughs> there's always so many new restaurants to hit um, but I always revert back to the OG spots. Um, I go to Odeon a lot. Actually, yesterday I went there um, for a late solo lunch um, at the bar. Just had a tuna burger, the side salad, read my book. Yeah. It was amazing. What's the book? Um, a friend just gifted me Andre Agassi's autobiography called Open, yeah. which, oh my goodness, first chapter in, I was like, it's a wild book. To the book. It's, I've read it. Yeah, uh, it's, good. it's so good. They need to make it into a film, but I, I heard that he <laughs> refuses to let mm-hmm. anyone do It's a that, really but. good, that's a great, what a choice. What Also, the U.S. Open is happening right now. Exactly. I'm, I'm a big tennis fan. I played um, juniors when I was younger, so nice. uh, tennis kind What of was your highest ranking? Boy. Oh, gosh. Um, it's so funny because when I was in high school compared to all the other kids that I played with, because I grew up in Southern California, and Southern California is one of the most competitive um, tennis junior regions. Um, and I was pretty bad, but in comparison to all my friends now who have just picked it up, I, I'm like really, really good. But um, in San Diego, my highest ranking was 13. Um, in SoCal, which is like a huge Damn. region, um, my highest ranking was like 97. That, like national. <laughs> That's amazing. And so were you recruited to play Division One? 
You know what? I got burnt out yeah. by senior year of high school and opted to not play. I also didn't want, I, you know, when you play in college, your the sport just kind of runs your life. So I yeah, it's not fun. That. Okay, so Odeon, back to that question. Yeah, Odeon, what <laughs> else are you? What else are you going to? Um, you know what? I love all of Ignacio Matos's restaurants. Um, the food is just so delicious and I really love it because of the vibe. Yeah. You always bump into people and that's why I love going out to restaurants. Ultra Paradiso, dining room, gotta love it. Yes. Always bumping into people. It yeah. feels like you're part of the community when you're there. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's just a really nice feeling. Okay, so going back, I was like creeping on your LinkedIn and I saw this fun <laughs> thing. You said back in 2006, you worked at the Spotted Pig and it says uh, quote unquote, worst kitchen extern ever. That's really, tell me about that. <laughs> um, Yes, it was definitely a wild time, and it's also crazy how things have turned out for that restaurant, yeah. RIP. Um, but yes, I was the worst kitchen extern ever. So it was during um, college, my senior year, I was just working on my thesis, which was actually about food. I was wrote my thesis about the food deserts of New York City and comparing mm. and contrasting what was available in, the, in East Harlem versus the Upper East Side and whatnot. Anyway, but um, so my last semester, I was just working on that and I had some free time. So I went to new school for a cooking class and um, because I, I think the teacher thought I saw, saw some potential in yeah. me, um, set me up with an externship at the Spotted Pig. So I worked there for about a month in the kitchen um, just during the day as a prep cook. I was, I don't know if you ever knew the layout of the Spotted Pig, yeah. but the main kitchen is, you know, in the first floor of the restaurant and then the prep kitchen is in the basement. Yeah, there's, and they're always running up and down those stairs. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, I remember that. So, one, if you had, every single day I would make the lemon tart and the devils on horsebacks. Mm. And so if you ever had the lemon tart during that era and it was runny, it was probably my <laughs> fault because I never, like, the curd never would ever get as solid as I wanted it to. Um, so I apologize for anyone who had oh my gosh. during that era. But this one time when I was making Devils and Horsebacks, um, it was um, Food Bank for New York City has an annual gala, and uh, April was providing the food for that. And so I made like 300 Devils on Horsebacks, and I was making them upstairs and bringing them downstairs into the prep kitchen. I see this is going... Yeah, and so as I, like, rounded that corner down the stairs, the entire tray of, like, 300 devils and horsebacks just, like, fell all around the ground down uh, the stairs. I know. April was also right there at the bottom the devils, of the stairs. The devils bounced down the stairs. You Could you, re, like, reuse it, it? No. I mean, no. It was it was done. I thought about it for a second, but then April was right there. And, I mean, obviously, we could have. There's no two-second rule in restaurants. No, 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 no. Oh, Especially my. not down the stairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down the hatch of a New York right. City. Right. Well, you stayed in restaurants and you stayed for a while. You're still in restaurants, but you also care of Chan. Your agency works on events, but you're always food adjacent. And you have obviously a real passion for food. You have great taste in restaurants. And you're just really a great collaborator in this in the world of food and, and what we do. I worked with you when you were a publicist. But I came to know you. You worked at Momofuku. You were the brand director. How long? I was at Momofuku for almost seven years. I mean, and you were there at Momofuku when that shit was being made. I know. Oh, man. Um, I feel like such an old person calling it the golden era, but it, it was the golden era of the restaurant group, but also just of dining in yeah. general. I mean, oh, my gosh. What an era, right, yeah. Matt? We were a part of that. We were. Um, I actually saw Amanda Clute at a 
party a couple months ago, and we were talking about that era and just how different it is. I mean, that was a time when there was like a nucleus to food, when monoculture still existed just in, yeah. in everyday life. Uh, you know, monoculture no longer exists, and it's all about niche culture now. But um, it, what a time. I mean, that was definitely the rena- the restaurant renaissance. I mean, it was because of that era Tony Bourdain, all those chefs, Rene Renzeppi, Dave Chang, of course, um, that kind of spearheaded this whole movement towards um, people actually caring about food and America actually growing a food culture. I mean, the reason why everyone is so obsessed with food right now is because of that era. And, you know, being at Momofuku, it was the epicenter of that. Um, and, you know, movements don't happen in a silo. They happen because everything is bubbling up. Um, but I would say because Dave was very much a, a spokesperson of that era, it yeah. was it was a really exciting place to be. How do you tell David Ching what to do? I feel like that's an impossible <laughs> task. But see, so you clearly figured it out. Um, you know what? I would say that um, my time at Momofuku, it's funny because when I left Momofuku, I started a PR and talent management agency. But I would say when I was at Momofuku, I really wasn't a traditional publicist. I was more of a gatekeeper. Um, you know, as things were coming in and offers were being presented and whatnot, it was a lot of figuring out, is this the right opportunity for Dave? Is this the right opportunity for Momofuku? Mm-hmm. And just making sure that our story was told and it was told well and it was told to the right people and, and by the right people. How much were you thinking about brand versus, meaning Momofuku brand, versus growing David Chang brand and and knowing that there'd be a trickle-down effect if Chang was big, your book would be full at Momo. But th- those are two separate tasks, Right. Yeah, it, it's funny because I, when I was, so my background when I was growing up, like all the internships I did and whatnot was always in like advertising and marketing related fields. Um, but I never knew what that meant in a restaurant setting. But once I got there, you know, as, as I was modeling my career off of other people, it wasn't, I wasn't modeling my career off of other food people. It was I was modeling my career off of other people in the marketing advertising space. And I actually literally made up my title brand director. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because now I see all these people <laughs> with the title brand director in restaurant in the restaurant space. Yeah. And I don't think that existed before um, I kind of gave myself that title. But um, yeah, I, I don't I, I think it was just because of my background and where I came from and what I was interested in. Um, I was always uh, very curious about how to position um Mm-hmm. stories and, and POVs in order to appeal to the target audience that we were going after. Yeah, and you were going after influencers before they were even called that, I'm sure. You wanted to get people into the building who would yeah. tell their friends, like Ruth Rachel, who was like the biggest Momofuku fan, yeah. it seems. You know what's so funny? Like, you know, obviously now I am still in the marketing space yeah. and I read a lot about the industry and take a lot of like courses on my own and read lots of books about it. And a lot of people that I follow are in the marketing space. But I wouldn't say that during my time there, we were so um, methodical about it. It was more just Dave had a really strong point of view. And it was just about um, making sure that we controlled that message and that that message was consistent um, in everything that we did. but it wasn't so methodical where we were like, Ruth Reichel, let's get her in. It was yeah. more just like we genuinely respected her um, and wanted her to be in the restaurant, you know. And and also Dave was really focused on making sure that the product was really yeah. good. And um, I think that that should always be your main priority as talent is making sure that your product is good because that will always um, 
that cream will always rise to the top. Yeah. A couple innovations that Momo, you know, kind of pioneered early on. One was like the reservation system, (laughs) which, you know, was a fucking nightmare if you tried to book at the restaurant. Oh, my God. It's so funny (laughs) because so when I first started at Momofuku, I was a chef assistant slash office manager. Yeah. And oh, my goodness, I did everything from payroll to taking Bosom reservations. Yes. Literally in a book. There was a book and we would like take it with a pen, um, these reservations. And then, of course, the co-reservation system was like online. Yeah. It was, you know, made by... By Dave's business partner at that time, Drew Salmon's like best friend yeah. in Virginia, who had like another tech company that had nothing to do with restaurants. He literally built it for us. It's amazing. And, and I'm talking shit because it was a nightmare if you tried to book, but man, everyone's copied that format now. Oh my goodness, for sure. Like Rezzy is built on yeah. the old Momo. And ben Leventhal yes. is like a huge Momo fan and yeah. clearly had some instincts to yeah. what to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh my goodness, what a time. The other innovation was, was large format and, and ticketing out large format and doing the, the Bosom dinners um, as like a ticketed event and an all-in and all-inclusive. But before that, all-inclusive was kind of not cool. And obviously you pioneered it, you guys at Momo. Yeah, it's, it's actually funny because I'm surprised we don't see large format meals happening at more restaurants these days because it is – you know, a, a big reason why we did it is because one, um, they, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but all those reservation times were at the shoulder time. So it was yeah. either early, early bookings or later bookings. And that was because, you know, the restaurant needed to be filled at that time. So one, we were guaranteeing that there would be a large group at the shoulder times. Um, and then it was also like somewhat of a set menu. So you could also guarantee that there was a certain price per head. It's actually from a business perspective, perspective extremely smart. And I'm surprised more restaurants don't do it. I agree. And I, I mean, the fried chicken two ways is probably my favorite. Oh, my goodness. The best. That which was, which one's your favorite? The oh, Korean? I don't. I think the Southern. the classic Southern. Yeah. I mean, Fuku I've had plenty of times at like stadiums and stuff, but I feel like the Southern when it was happening was fire. So good. The Bosom is still yeah. one of my favorite foods. Bo- <laughs> Bosom, you still eat in the restaurants? Um, I so in LA I'll go to Major Domo. Yeah. Um, I've definitely eaten my share of pork buns. Yeah. <laughs> in my life. Yeah, I'm sure you you don't touch those anymore. You've had your share. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, a major domo. The restaurant is amazing. It's I feel like it's just settled into this like groove, but it's amazing. Yeah. Your uh, LA restaurant, it's so good. But you know what I used today, which Dave would be proud. Um, <laughs> on my avocado toast this morning, I used the chili sauce, the Momofuku chili crisp. Let's segue to that. I think that's a yeah. great segue because um, CPG is a huge part of Momofuku. I mean. Chang has like divested essentially you don't have to get into that because it's private but like I know from here and talking to people he's focusing on media and he's got his media company which is cool great podcast Um, when you think about brand I look at the Rayo's uh, transaction that just happened you know Rayo's this this small like uptown red sauce joint made one product a red sauce jarred red sauce and um, was able to quickly become a, a, a brand that everyone in our country knew about seemingly because it just sold for over $850 million in this transaction is worth, worth of a billion. We're talking about going from a small restaurant to this. Sue, tell me about restaurants as brands. I feel like these restaurants are, are way more valuable than we are kind of presenting. I think of places like Wild Air, places like Prune, places that are small brick-and-mortar restaurants that have this outsized influence in our culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say... Everything that Dave built up until this point 
is the reason why his CPG brand is as successful as it is. I think they just raised $17 million. Um, and it's funny to think that, like, he worked his entire career to get to this point where he could essentially probably cash out and retire early because of the CPG brand. Um, it, it, it's funny. Some experts think the era of brand is actually dying just because the Internet has made everything's so accessible that it's so easy to copy anything. And that's, you know, a big thing that's happening in fashion is the yeah. fast fashion brands are copying quicker than, you know, the um, the luxury fashion brands can even get their product into stores. And so what does brand mean anymore if you can get the same thing for cheaper? Um, but I think when it comes to restaurants, um, you know, it's really noisy out there, especially with the internet. Um, how do you decipher what's good versus what's bad? And I think a brand kind of guarantees that you're going to get a certain level of quality. Um, you know, we can trust that Dave's CPG product, his chili crisp, his um, instant noodles are going to be of a certain caliber because that's what he comes from. Like he has trained, he has won all the awards and all that. And so I think brand is more and more important as just everything gets so much noisier and, mm -hmm. and that's what we're going to gravitate towards. Um, or if, for instance, you know, the reason why a Starbucks is so successful is because if you're in any airport or in any small town, you know, if you go to Starbucks, you're going to get a certain caliber yeah. um, of product and, and you don't have to go search for, for, the good stuff. Yeah, and I think you look at like a brand like Squirrel and you put them into the, you know, into the community and into the world and, you know, you start growing it one skew at a time and it becomes part of yeah. the mainstream. And do you feel like this is going to be more of a trend? Do you think that restaurants are going to actually get investment? I mean, you said $17 million for Major Joe or for Momo, but like there's probably folks who are like really excited to invest in restaurants in this way. Yeah, and I think... uh Food products are really the only way to be extremely scalable in in restaurants, right? Because, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, dining out or eating at a restaurant is the last thing that you can't download, right? <laughs> like you can literally download everything else, like music, films, everything, but you can't download a restaurant experience. Um, but because of that, it's also not extremely scalable, right? Um, and so the only way to scale it is through products. Um, and I, I do hope, you know, restaurateurs do focus on that in order to grow their businesses. But it's also not an easy business, right? Um, it, it's not the same as running a restaurant. And it's funny. Remember when fast casual was like the it thing and yeah. literally every chef started their own fast casual concept yeah. and then all of them died? They all died. I mean, Chang had one die as well. I mean, they yeah. all died. Yeah, exactly. And um, though Fuku's still around. Well, right? yeah, Fuku. But, but, but the um, it was the it was maple. Maple, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because these are hard businesses. The CPG industry is so different than running a restaurant. Yeah. And a fast casual restaurant is not the same thing as running like a fine dining or even a medium level restaurant. Um, it's just a different business. Um, and and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, yes, it's a really amazing way for chefs to grow their reach and to scale their businesses in an industry that's very difficult to scale. Um, but they should find the right partners to help them do that because yeah. it's a whole nother business. Um, but I think what's exciting about chefs exploring that is um, 
you know, 20 years ago, none of this existed. And I would love all of my CPG products and everything in my pantry to be restaurant grade quality products. Right. And so I think it's incredible and, and I hope it happens. Yeah. And the consumers are willing to pay the price too. Exactly. Because these are small luxuries, you know, paying, uh, you know, $7 for a jar of pasta sauce instead of a three ninety nine. Um, not everyone can do that, of course, but many folks can. And if it's better, we want to eat better as a culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people now care so much about what they eat. It's, you know, not only for taste, but also it's a bit of a status symbol, right? It's yeah. like, it's, and and that's why I think um, the restaurant industry grew as fast as it is, because it kind of happened at the same time um, that the internet and Instagram was happening. Mm-hmm. And, Social media, for sure. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And I think um, the bragging rights of <laughs> showing that you went to this restaurant, yeah. you got this hot reservation <laughs> is, um, is, is a big reason why the industry grew as fast as it did. And I think that um, kind of uh, standard of living will start trickling into your everyday life. Back to the New York question. Where else are you going on your trip? I just want to get, I don't want to like forget this question. Yeah. There's got to be more spots having lived here for 20 years that you're going to hit up. Oh, oh, the original. I mean, I, I always hit up Ross and Daughters too. Um, yeah. Baltazar is great for meetings. Yeah. Um, like a breakfast meeting situation. Um but you know what? This trip, because there have been so many new restaurants, I'm trying to make my rounds. Um, yeah. I'm going to go to Libertine. Yeah. I just went to Raf's. Um, going to check out Soul Station. Yeah. Um, Real cool. Soul Station and, and Raf's are both great places. Yeah. <laughs> Sue, let me ask you, what advice can you give new food talent on how they can, be, can become the next David Chang? New food talent and how they can become the next David Chang. I mean— <laughs> I'm like, uh, is the goal to become famous? Is the goal to become influential? Is the goal to um, <laughs> make a living? Um, I, you know what? When I left Momofuku and started my own agency, I did literally have a chef um, whose name shall remain nameless, um, who I think he was joking, but, you know, there's truth to every single joke. Um, he was like, can you just make me as famous as David Chang? Wow. <laughs> um, I, I know, I know, LOL. Awkward pause. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would say um, one thing that I wish I saw more these days is um, I feel like, do you know that scene in Devil, The Devil Wears Prada when um, Meryl Streep's character, who's like the Anna Wintour character, mm-hmm. um, talks about the blue sweater, yeah, the Anne the Hathaway's ham, yeah, of characters, and and how she traces the lineage yeah. of that blue and why Anne Hathaway is wearing that and where it came from. I feel like that person sometimes where I, I, my hope is that when you enter the food industry that you do your research and that um, you really know and understand the history, especially because we just came off of a really important moment in food, dining, and culinary industry and the culinary industry. And I, 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 I think if you know that information, you can be such a better creative. Because um, one, you'll know if your ideas are copying anyone mm-hmm. or if they're just iterating off of someone else. But I think it's so important to have that base knowledge of where we came from in order to figure out where we're going. Um, but I think back to what I was saying about monoculture, it's just going to be so hard. I don't think we're going to see someone as influential as Dave Chang in like a really long time. It, it's just with monoculture not existing and it being about niche culture. Yeah. It's just, and also food having 
hit the zeitgeist as it has, like, it's going to take another big pendulum swing before something goes that mainstream. We see David Chang or the new David Chang on Super Bowl ads as a chef. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not going to be someone as famous as Dave Chang. Right. Like, absolutely. Um, but it's just like, you know how hip-hop was kind of like the last moment when um, a new music was invented, yeah. essentially, as they say? Um, like, yes, we're going to still see stars in food and, and people probably as, bi- like, bigger and more famous and— you know, the bear couldn't have existed 20 years ago, and now it does. Like, we're definitely going to still see important things happening, big and important things happening. But as far as, like, changing the way we eat, I don't think that that's going to happen for a Straight while. Straight talks to you. I like it. I I, 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 I mean, not not in a major way. Like, when yeah. the pendulum sink. Like, that that moment was a huge swing in the pendulum. It was, it went from us not caring about what was happening in the back of the house and with chefs to only care the cover about. of time magazine three chefs i know i mean that well was a that's a whole hot mess of course we don't need to relitigate that but yeah. yeah but still that's a moment in history yeah yeah these chefs on this cover of time yeah i uh i hope there's a documentary project about uh, that era that we Ugh, talk about it needs I to know. be done i know this yeah there's obviously somebody who's gonna do it anyways you're gonna be in it um <laughs> i know i have so many stories i yeah. i told chris Stower, the the creator of the bear i was yeah. like there needs to be something that happens in the like offices of these restaurants oh yeah well there's multiple seasons for that show so maybe yeah. we'll, um i think we share this working thesis and it's a good one that good food is basically available everywhere you know, I was just in 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 San Antonio, and I had like the most incredible jerk chicken next to a gas station. And you think about modern Korean cooking in in New York and LA, but mostly New York. And it's like you walk down the street, and there's like six places that are doing exceptional food. So I think I would like to get your take on what sets the good from the great, what separates the two. And I think talking to you previously and having a little chat ahead of time, there's something about vibes. There's something that's like intangible, but it's like vibes. And that's a that's a really tricky word because it means a lot. But Sue, like tell me what makes these restaurants really, really work that goes outside the culinary? Yeah. I, I think um now that good food can literally be found everywhere, as you just mentioned. Um, I think what I personally seek out and what I hear my friends seeking out and 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 we can just, you know, also see it in, in what's popular is that um I think good food can be found everywhere, and so what's the next level up? And I think that that's service, that's vibe, that's entertainment. Mm. Um, you know, you see restaurants like Harbone, they do entertainment so well, right? Because, um, and it, I think a big reason why they have been so successful with their expansion is because they offer an experience. I mean, the food that they're offering is, like, pretty basic and simple. It's, like, white sauce, Italian joint. You can find that yeah. in other places. But Rich might disagree, right. but still, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, there's they're not reinventing too much there in the culinary No, side. you feel so special, and, and the kind of cachet that they've, like, built around that brand makes you— uh, makes it so much more desirable to go, right? And um, Or, like, the Nines, that piano bar. Um, mm-hmm. I think places like that— that offer entertainment on top of the food. People want an experience um, because they want to be able to, uh, you know, tell their friends or tell their coworkers or just have a fun night out that they can't normally get mm-hmm. in their everyday life. Because, um, you know, even for your lunch at a fast casual joint, you can get really amazing food. So what do you want when you go out on a Friday night? You want something more than that. Um, and I, I think also as... Um, 
third places or community centers as churches kind of fall by the wayside and don't really exist in our culture anymore. I think restaurants become that third place and that become that place where you gather with your community, bump into your community, um, see people out and about. I mean, even bars and um, clubs don't really exist anymore like they used to. Mm. Um, You know, clubs can't really survive in New York City anymore because it's too expensive unless you run a bottle service kind of a club. Um, And... Yeah, so I, I think people are searching for experience and they're searching for community when they go out and dine these what's, days. So, Sue, what's your what's your ideal vibes in a restaurant or a, a, a dining space in one of these third spaces that we I mean, a big reason why I love Odeon is, one, I love that it's been around for like 30 plus years. Yeah. Um, and just the history. Heritage. That those walls have seen. Like, if those walls could talk. that <laughs> Someone needs to make that documentary yeah. telling all the old stories. How many Belushi, like, Belushi moments were in that Oh, space. my goodness. SNL rap parties in there. Yeah. Many of them. And and also, the reason why I love Odeon is because it's so quintessential to New York. It could only exist in New York. Contramar in Mexico City is like one of those restaurants too where it could only exist in Mexico City. Um, Rochelle Canteen, River Cafe in London. Those are restaurants that yeah. can only exist in that place. Um, and their rich history just makes it, I don't know, as you know, it's so hard running a successful restaurant. And so if you survive five years, that's like yeah. a major plus. But if you're survived like 30 plus, like my goodness. Um, but the big reason why I love Odeon is because when you go there, you will bump into someone you know. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what's so beautiful and amazing about New York City. And what I really miss now that I live in L.A. is that spontaneity oh my gosh. that can happen in a restaurant. You know, um, you can bump into someone and, and it feels like, oh, I belong to a community and this is my city. So you consult with restaurants and, and brands. And, and so let's talk about more of the new new guns, the, the young bucks, and they're just opening and they want a, a Suchan Vibes starter kit. How are, we, how are we setting the vibes outside of this heritage? Because I think heritage is something that I fully agree with, super important for restaurants. And like I think of a place like Nifa's and Navigation in Houston that I just went to. It's like that can't exist anywhere else. It's like a vibe. It's old school. But many of the restaurants we love are new. There's got to be a way to set this vibe. Is there a way that you can articulate this? Not an easy question, I realize. Yeah, like how do you set a vibe? Um, I think uh, focus on consistency with your menu. Um, Get it instead of trying to do too much. um, You know, I think make a simpler menu and get it and and make it well um, so that every time someone comes in, it's consistently delicious. And I think focus on growing your... um, business around your regulars. So making people feel special, especially the people who live in the neighborhood. Um, Because during COVID, what we witnessed is that the restaurants that survived were, fell into one of two categories. One was they either had a huge financial backer, right? So money would never run out, or they had a really um, loyal community fan base. And I think that no matter what, and and that's what Keith McNally does very well is front of house, right? And service and um, focusing on his regulars. Regulars. Feel super special. Morandi or you're in in Odeon, you're in, you're you're cycling through them all. So no matter what happens with the trends, no matter what's hot, cold, whatever, um, no matter if there's COVID and the entire city shuts Mm -hmm. down, if you have a really solid uh, regular, like, uh, set of customers who are regulars, 
you will survive. So I think just focus on that and then the rest will come. Yeah, we had Ben Leventhal in talking about Blackbird as new company and that's kind of the premise of that entire yes. company. It's an interesting idea that you really want to treat double down, triple down on your regulars. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask you, is there a Suchan brick and mortar in the works? Would, <laughs> would you do it knowing that what you know? Would you, I mean, everyone dreams of having their own restaurant in some way. I mean, it's oh, a God. real fantasy. It's a real like idealized world, but I mean, would you do it? That's so funny because because I'm so in the biz, uh, <laughs> I have the two reasons why people reach out is one, they want to open up a restaurant or two, they want to become food media talent. And I'm always like, no, don't do it. <laughs> I, I wish people came to me and were like, I want to become a food scientist and help solve world hunger or help um, with the sustainability issue around food, which that that those industries, regenerative agriculture, sustainability and food technology. I think that those are the industries where we're going to see the most innovation in oh, the yeah. coming years. Um, so I urge people to get into that instead yeah. of becoming another food. Yeah, it's not as like, it's not going to get you clout with a K, but it's going to definitely like save our planet. And also you might make a living doing that stuff. Yeah. Too. And you could actually, I mean, speaking of being influential, like you could influence a lot if you yeah. dedicate your life to that. Um, and that's, a, you know, real influence. <laughs> um, but uh Sorry, what was the question? Would you open oh, Su Chan my, owned oh, oh, a restaurant, wine bar, bottle shop, uh, yeah. ice cream shop? Um, I would open up an event space um, yeah. now that I'm in the events business. Right. Um, I, I love events and I love bringing people together. It's really just an excuse to have a place where I can just bring a lot of people. Yeah, do. events, but maybe, you know, have like a menu once a week. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the only brick and mortar that I would <sighs> do. And then um, I, I I will admit it is my fantasy, maybe when I retire, um, to have, you know, cookbook yep. in L.A. Side, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Great spot. I'm obsessed with that spot. Um, just like a cute little grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would be a fantasy of mine. Yeah. So let me ask you about Care of Chan events, and you focus on it, and I'd love to get in some stories. I mean, you— Follow you on Graham. It's like a good one. And you always are, you're in unique cities. You're working with cool brands. And I'm sure behind the scenes, that shit is not easy. Give me some like, give me some stories from the trenches of oh my goodness. food event production. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, well, one, event production is so different than food event production. Oh, right. Sure. And um, I oftentimes see a lot of event producers who do like large scale fashion events or large scale concerts or whatever struggle when it comes to food. Um, and so we've definitely been called in like the called in in the 11th hour to like help save the day <laughs> um, be, to be like, can you help figure out this night market that we need to like make happen? We hired Leila Gohar. She made a, co a couch made with bread, but that's all we have. Yeah. Suchan, <laughs> do the rest. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I... You know, won't name any names, but I, I, I think the two most dramatic moments were um, one time um, I had to lock in like a pretty major um, talent for the show, for this event that we were doing it was a musical talent. And um, because of some bad team members brought into the mix, we almost lost that talent and I had to like literally get a friend to who was about to have dinner with the lead singer of that band um, to like put in a good word for me at yeah. the dinner. But it was like perfect timing that like she was about to have dinner with them. And then another time, oh my goodness, the chef wanted to pull out of this huge event that was happening with like a major brand in Vegas. And um, 
I actually ended up severing my ties with the chef, unfortunately, but um, she canceled last minute. The brand was not very happy. I don't know if I'll ever work with that brand yeah. ever again, but um, yeah. You do your best. We did not save that one, but yeah. but I did my best. Yes. Why did the chef pull out? <sighs> you know. Money? No, no, it wasn't that. It was a very well-paying gig. Yeah, like a major like brand. Yeah. It was a Vegas event. Everything was going to be set up for them. Yeah. You know. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, that, that's actually a fool's errand to, like, try to get this at the head of a well-paid talent bailing at the last Who minute. Who knows? Wow. But but still, great fodder for this documentary. Yes! Yes. Um, so what's good in L.A.? Let's let's pivot to your new town. Um, <laughs> is Horses Really close, Closing? Shout out to Chris Black. Going to be on the show soon. He just tweeted that. I don't think it's closing. You know, he also tweeted um, that BA was going to shut down. Also I recall that true. as well. Um, no, I do not think horses, because I, I I also checked with my sources, yeah. and that is not true. Um, is it a good restaurant? You know what? I have not been since the news broke, um, but the staff is incredible. The front of house staff is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and I, <laughs> I really loved it. I mean, I... It was exciting because, so L.A. versus New York, of course, everyone loves Fun to game. talk about that battle. Um, L.A. has really incredible food, maybe one of the best food cities, as is London. Um, incredible breadth of what's available, all different types of cuisines at all different types of levels. Very exciting. I think maybe even better than New York, honestly. Yeah. But what New York is excels at is restaurant restaurants. So, like, restaurants with a big R. Yeah. Like, they're very good at vibe, speaking of mm -hmm. vibe. L.A., not so much vibe. Like, most of the good food that you enjoy are in, you know, mom and pop, mm -hmm. really casual settings. SGV or East Side. Or exactly, exactly. Or you have the fancy sceney joints, which, um, you know, have a vibe if you're into that Hollywood vibe. Mm -hmm. um, but the food is shitty right mm -hmm. and and there are very few um obviously there are like there's bestia there's the um you know they exist yeah like felix republic yeah exactly they not definitely bad. exist yeah. but on like the level that of new york restaurants not so much it's yeah. not as sexy like it, it, that's why it's such an intriguing spot for food writers from not la because it, it doesn't like look like most other cities the restaurant scene the stuff that's actually like good and written about it's it's very different i mean even places like houston which i just went to is is a little more centralized to be honest it's not as sprawly as you think but la is fucking sprawly and you're gonna find places you know in hollywood there'll be like a buzzy um spot that has a great new chef and of course head to the west side and, and then what evan funky let's start there what the hell's going that must be great like i feel i i loved mother wolf but his new spot the tasting menu menu only sorry i just hijacked your pick no fight. no no it's but okay but i mean picks. he definitely with mother wolf i think hit on this like where the food is you know relatively delicious and there's a scene that didn't really exist in la um and Horses was one of, like, the few restaurants that did that and did that very well. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it's very unfortunate that that news happened. Yeah. yeah. I have not been back since, so. <laughs> so uh, a few other spots in LA that you like that we just, you know, give give us a sense. Oh, God. I mean, on that same vein of Horses, Musso and Frank's yeah. is still such a go-to. I mean, obviously, that's been around for, like, 100 years and is not new. Um, but I love that. Um, I'm really excited for the Baru yeah. restaurant. They just reopened, which is um, in a much bigger space. So I'm excited to try that out. Um, 
Perilla is really amazing too. Mm-hmm. It's like a Bon Chance bar. But again, this is like a super casual yeah, spot great. where you just like go for lunch. But yeah, great, great call there. I appreciate it. it was, I feel like LA is always changing over every 18 months. Yes. There's like 10 new places and yes. you gotta go. Yeah. So on this is taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. <laughs> so to close this interview, here's our little rapid fire fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? Yes. I love it. The- you, you know what? I Oh, gosh. I'm like so the person who's like, wait, but like what mood are you in? I love it. What? All but the yeah. caveats. So, so I, I will do my best. Do your best. It's yeah. it, You can have a few caveats. It's allowed. The best and pastry with coffee. So I live super close to Cookbook and also Canyon Coffee and Sasha Pilgrim, who does all the pastries at Canyon Coffee. I love all her stuff. Um, she has this coconut carrot cake that's just so oh good. man i tried to go to canyon i, I circled like six times and it's such park. a scene i couldn't park i was like you park. can't park and there's a long line i tried parking like i went up like six hills and i couldn't go there but friends and i joke about how you don't need to go out you just can go to club canyon <laughs> it really on, like is a that. saturday yeah walk the reservoir <laughs> and go to hectic, canyon but yeah um best dessert period oh gosh um my friend Claire Patak of violet in london she has this uh coconut pudding cake it's so bonkers. And I was also just in Toronto, Maddie Matheson's restaurant, Prime Seafood Palace, mm-hmm. has this, um, it's essentially like a, a, a maple butter pie with like a gigantic slab of brie cheese on it. That, oh, that was insane. Uh, yeah, that brie, was. Making it to the final course. Oh my goodness, yes. I love that call. Yeah, yeah. It brings me back to like the 1990s. It was so good. I, I mean, I, I think I now have gout because of yeah. that dessert, but it was incredible. The best bread. Um, the best bread, uh, Josie Baker from the mill in San Francisco. She has this adventure bread. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, I, I'm not gluten free, but it's gluten free. It's just super nutty. It feels like th- the healthiest and most delicious. Josie the Baker is dope. That's a great call. The best music to have in your restaurant dining room. It could be a band. It could be a genre. Jazz. Yeah. I'm like pausing because I, th- I, I say, yeah, but then jazz can go haywire. Of course. I mean, not <laughs> You've been like, in all those spots where... Right, 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 right. Not like smooth jazz. Yeah. Um, but more... I, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. It. I, it just feels like... Um, I know that sounds so... It, it either... That makes me either sound really old and um, boring or... <laughs> but I guess in my head... I mean, there's lots of really incredible new jazz yeah. um, performers too. But, you know, cool jazz. <laughs> yeah. No, the West Coast cool jazz. Let's yeah. go there. Okay. So your favorite chef to hang out with... Of all time ever. Yeah. Gosh. Sue. I've um I've been lucky in yeah. being able to hang out with a lot of really incredible chefs. Um there was this one time uh during the Mad Symposium every year. I don't know if they still do this, but when I went this one year, Renee always would take all the chef participants or all the speakers um on like an outing the day before the symposium started and this one year we went to this island off the coast of um copenhagen and had this just like really incredible meal with all the chefs and that was definitely by far like the best hang with chefs but of those chefs and they were there um that are the most fun the franks i've not hung out with them in a while but they are a really good hang oh my god yeah they just have i mean (laughs) they have the best stories like the craziest best stories and frank fasanelli he worked at moomba (laughs) which i don't know if you know this restaurant but everyone should look it up um talk about a restaurant in this like crazy era of when restaurants were kind of like clubs yeah um kind of like the quilted giraffe era and all that um but moomba was like a club and you know 
Butter comes to mind. Alex Bernicelli at Butter. Yeah. Um, Back in the day with good food, like, but more going on. Yeah, exactly. Like Madonna <laughs> was like smoking inside yeah. at Moomba when Ruth Reichel was there reviewing yeah. it. Um, but yeah, but he has the craziest stories. So I will say. Yeah, Frank, uh, we got to, it makes, I think the best slice in Brooklyn, F and F. I got to yes. say, that's a damn good slice. Okay. Your, your favorite chef to learn from. Ugh, it feels probably cliche and cheesy to say, but Dave Chang still yeah. through and through. I mean, I um, really admire what he's built. And um, I think he has a lot of really incredible insights into the industry. And yeah, lots of all his things. podcast is great. Him yeah. and Chris do a good job on that one. Your favorite cookbook of all time? The River Cafe 50th Anniversary Cookbook. It's just so beautiful. And they have, um, I, I don't know if you know the history of, of the restaurant, but a lot of artists um, were regulars and involved in the project. Um, and a lot of them made really like incredible menus. And so um, the cookbook has a lot of those photos. Just the full photos yeah. of the menus and shot well. I love that. Ugh. I wish Ruth would do a menu cookbook. She's collected oh, so yes. many and just the menu as an artifact is such an interesting thing and, and so cool. I completely agree. Yeah. Alice Waters has one, which that cookbook I also own too, where it's just yep. pages and pages of all of the menus from her restaurant. A recent cookbook discovery, a favorite. A friend gifted me um, like an early edition uh, from like the 1960s, uh, James Beard Menus for Entertaining, mm -hmm. which is just so hilarious to flip through just mm -hmm. because some of the menu items are like so archaic from like an, literally another era. Um, but it, it's actually like full um, recipes for like full menus. It's like thinking about James Beard hosting parties and the menus that he wrote. wrote yeah. Especially in that in that. In that old house of his. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Amazing. What a, th that's a TV show. Yes. Let's get James Beard. Wow, that yeah. would be a good one. Yeah. We're what, oh, like remaking all those parties. Just, or, yeah, yeah, like that era. Or, or, or just about him. Yeah, man. Oh my goodness! Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Let's do it, Matt. Yeah, we're just like we're kicking around <laughs> Hollywood ideas. We're just doing a little. We're doing a general right now. You're such. You're so LA. I love it. Couple more favorite vegetable. Anything from from Natura. Like, hands yeah. down, best produce. Also, Wiser Farms in L.A. Are they clients? They're not. Okay, shout I mean, good. <laughs> we, we've worked with Natura in the past, but I'm they're kidding. not, like— It doesn't matter. I, I'm not on their payroll. It doesn't matter. But you matter. know what? In my defense, good. we only work with people whose products we actually enjoy and like um, yep. genuinely and never take on a client unless we S believe in them. Same at Taste. We have clients. We've done client work. We only—we love our clients. We love—we <laughs> we only, we only work with people we love. Isn't that true, Sue? <laughs> <laughs> All right, your last one, your favorite sandwich. Um, I'm not a huge sandwich person, but again, cookbook. I I am such a creature of habit, but cookbook has incredible sandwiches because they're all made on Bub and Grandma's focaccia. Yeah. Um, but there's this um salsa salsa matcha roasted carrot sandwich. Oh my god, vegetarian! It's so good. It's got like hummus and cucumbers, and I mean, it's just really amazing ingredients, which is why it's so delicious. Yeah. But yeah. I love that. Oh my god! I mean, cookbook sandwiches is the second time it's come up in on the show. Just like specifically, oh, really? no way. Who else? Becca Milstein. Okay, she okay. had one. She had one from from Fishwife. She was. Like, I I mean, when I am in New York, the closest that comes to cookbook is the Dimes Deli yeah. part. But there's just no. I I just want a grocery store that's exactly like cookbook. I feel Court Street Grocer in Brooklyn okay. does a version of it, but it's very different. There. It's not West Coast. It has doesn't really have like a fresh market as much. Right. But it's going to check that out. Yeah. I just, I, I guess it's very Californian to be able it to It is so to great. Su Chan, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. That was so fun. 
This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.